HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. We are continuing our coverage of the Slow Food Nations Festival here in Denver, Colorado. Um, We are nearing the end of our second day of live interviews from the Taste Marketplace, which is at Larimer Square in downtown Denver. And I am so glad to be uh, joined right now by Sheila Bowman. Welcome, Sheila. Hi. Nice to be here. (laughs) Sheila is... um, um, was trained as a marine scientist and now works with Chef Media and Industry to help make environment, environmentally sustainable seafood the norm when sourcing better food. So she's with the Monterey Bay Aquarium, specifically the Seafood Watch app. That is correct, Kat. <laughs> there we go. So I feel like Seafood Watch is, is pretty widespread at this point, but for someone who's unfamiliar with what, what that is, can you, ex- can you walk us through what the app does? Yes, absolutely. And we have just been um, working now for 20 years to get consumers and businesses to think about their seafood and the environmental impacts of what they're choosing. And like any other food type, it can be complex and wild seafood versus farm seafood. And there are, you know, handfuls of things to think about. And that's really what Seafood Watch has done through the years is put together a criteria and a standard that helps people not have to do all the thinking, just kind of look at the list. So on our app and our website, we have over 1,700 different seafood recommendations for the United States that help you hopefully go look up your favorite seafood and decide, you know, if it's on our best choices list and you should be eating it, or maybe it's on our avoid list and you should be um, staying away from it for a while and finding something else to enjoy. What are some factors that would make a fish be not a good choice for you at this moment? So we've been talking a lot the last couple of days here at Slow Food Nations about aquaculture and farmed fish. And, you know, it's so pretty pervasive. People think, oh, I don't want to eat any farmed fish. And um, we're really kind of in a brand new day where we've got so much innovative thinking in aquaculture that just like any other food source. It's, there's better and better aquaculture out there. But we look at things like, um, you know, what are they feeding the farm fish? That's been a problem if you're overfishing fish A to feed it to fish B. Um, you can be creating sort of double problems. We look at effluent, which is just a fancy word for what comes out of the farm, you know, especially if the farm's in the ocean. Um, 
We look at things like the chemicals they might use to keep the fish healthy or, or um, kind of other chemicals that you might see in the food system. But then we look at a lot of things that may not be so familiar, like where is where the, do the baby fish come from? Um, that can be important. Um, how much data do they have about their operations? I mean, we just look at a lot of techno stuff that, again, you know, probably anybody could go and do some research and find out, but we really compile it together to make it easy. And then when you look at wild fish, it's a little bit easier. You know, what, what's the fish you want? Are you catching other fish as you go about your operations by mistake? So some of those bycatch things and just other kinds of habitat damage that might happen just in the course of producing food. Does the Seafood Watch app also take into accountability the seasonality of a fish and whether or not it's a good thing to eat at that moment in time? We really don't have those recommendations. And um, I always think Edible Communities does a great job of kind of telling people what's in season, where they are, which can be different no matter where you tend to be. But um, part of the sustainability of any food product is kind of eating it in season. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, fish are not different. You wouldn't really want to try to get wild salmon out of season. So, um, so it kind of drops in there a little bit, sort of, but it's not necessarily a guide to seasonal mm-hmm. fish. But that being said, many fish do have seasonality to sort of be aware of. Mm-hmm. And w- when and how did the Monterey Bay Aquarium take on Seafood Watch as a project? So we've been, in 2018, we're celebrating 20 years of giving recommendations about sustainable seafood. And where it really came from 20 plus years ago was the Pew Ocean Commissions and some of the really kind of really great third party work that was being done to try to understand seafood and some of the problems in the oceans that were resulting from the way we were catching seafood. And a lot of people, when they think about the oceans, they think about, you know, plastics and oil spills and pollution and that kind of thing. Um, But they may not think about one of the major impacts we have, which is taking out animals in order to eat them. And whether it's, you know, the whaling we did 100 years ago or Atlantic cod from the late 1900s or the fish that we're fishing today, that actually is one of the major impacts we have. We can fish fish populations almost right out of the water. So that's why we got involved was to give people an idea of what they should feel good about eating. Because the key thing, Kat, is people should eat seafood. Mm-hmm. It's good for us. It's actually fairly low in, in its, you know, kind of footprint on the planet. So what I don't like to hear is when people say, well, I'm just not going to eat fish now that I've heard all these things. That's just terrible. But when you look across to other food systems, it's actually everything has its pros and cons. And Seafood is actually right in there with one of the things we should be eating for so many reasons. And you, you mentioned that, you know, there have been many examples of overfishing to the point of near extinction. What's, what do we do when we hit that point and how do we kind of work to bring back populations of fish? See, I think that's really a great example because if you, you know, are kind of new to the market or you weren't around 30 years ago, you may not have realized the different species that we were eating. But here in the U.S., we've lost both our Atlantic salmon and our Atlantic cod fisheries in the last 30 or 40 years because 
we fish them so hard that there's not enough left to go out to make it worthwhile to go out and fish anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you see Atlantic cod, it's not from the U.S., may not even be from Canada. It might be from Iceland these days. Um, when you see Atlantic salmon, it's either from the other side of the Atlantic or it's a farm species. So um, some of those species really haven't done so well in recovery, despite our efforts to stop fishing them. But then there's these really great stories like the Atlantic swordfish, where everyone, maybe maybe not everyone, but give swordfish a break, was around in the 80s and chefs and consumers stopped eating swordfish and fisheries changed their operations and became more sustainable. And fishery, the, the actual swordfish population has recovered really nicely. So it's kind of points out that, you know, we need to be careful, but also if we are, that there can be this rebound of the fish that we want to eat. So I don't think anyone's hopes to be on the avoid list forever. It's mm-hmm. just like, let's give them a break for now and hope they can come back and we'll enjoy them in the future. Um, what are some, are, are there any fish right now that you, like specifically that are on that do not eat list that, you know, are, uh, have a real cause for concern at the moment? Well, you know, probably the key species we all think about with that would be something like a bluefin tuna, mm-hmm. both in the Atlantic and the Pacific. Populations are down to somewhere between three, four, five, maybe 10% of the population size we know they should be at. And when you fish a fish down to so few, I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, genetic problems that can happen, distribution problems. But, you know, if for a boy fish to find a girl fish becomes a lot more difficult. So Bluefin tuna is one of the big ones. And I think people are like, oh, we love bluefin tuna. How do we give that up? And Again, we're hoping people will give it up now with the idea that it'll come back later. Mm. But, um, you know, sharks, another one. Sharks live an incredibly long time. We really want to not overfish them. Um, You know, I think one of the things I've heard a lot about this weekend, I think Denver might be a real sushi town. People are sad to see the unagi eel on the list. But I think those are three that, you know, we all should really think, let's give them a break for right now. Do you see people being willing to give it up at all or or are they totally resistant to like the bluefin and the eel giving that up as part of their sushi routine? I think that people go both ways. There's some people who care and see the process and understand that there's other great fish to eat in the meantime so let's just give it up for now. And then it seems like there's a strange sector of our race, of our humanity that I'm like, well, if it's going away, I better eat my share before it goes. So um, anyway, we hope that people will not necessarily live that kind of lifestyle and will think about giving it up for now. What are some fish that we definitely should be eating right now? So we just have done quite a few like workshops and talks about oysters and shellfish. So that's really top of mind right now. Um, They tend to be, you know, they're all filter feeders and they tend to be a farm product that's really um, delicious. I mean, that's one thing. It's delicious, but it's also really done sustainably and has a really nice connection of taste with place. So you can eat an oyster from the East Coast and one from the West Coast and have completely different, amazing experiences. So it's a fun food to eat. Um, You know, around here, we know people are eating a lot of farmed trout. So U.S. farmed trout's a great one. Arctic char, and that kind of fills that little 
gap if you're not eating as much salmon as maybe you were. Um, so those are all good ones. I mean, some of my favorite things tend to be like the West Coast has some really great whitefish, the rockfish and the petrolli sole. Um, if I see gulf shrimp, I'll probably eat it every time. So I just really, you know, try to, to kind of stick with my favorites. And I mm-hmm. think that's a real key thing. You know, everyone has a few favorites. It's not like you need to have 50 kinds of seafood that you need to eat. So kind of look on the green list and find your top ones and, and you know, keep those in mind when you're out at the store or at the restaurants. I want to talk a little bit about more about oysters since you just did the oyster yes. event. Um, I... I did a piece about oysters and learned that they're actually maybe the only seafood that contributes to the environment in a way, since they are filter feeders instead of um, farming. So farming oysters can be actually be better for the environment. Is that the case? And, and, why, and it, should we be eating more oysters if, if so? Well, I think that there's, you know, when people always say, what's the best thing you can be eating? I think shellfish typically come to the top of the list. For some reason, mussels are like number one and then oysters and some of these other things and clams. But the fact is, yeah, they filter the ocean water. So if the ocean water, whatever it has in it, they're going to help clear it out. So that can be good and bad, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if there's a lot of algae in the water, lots of different, um, you know, kind of plant matter in there because we've maybe had runoff and Lots of, of agricultural fertilizer has kind of stoked up the ocean food chain. You know, oysters can help clear the water that way, and that's a really important function. I think oysters can filter like 50 gallons of water, I don't know, a day or something. It's an incredibly large amount. So, you know, the downside of that is if we have little bits and pieces of plastic in the water, they also are going to be impacted by that. But for the most part, it is considered this zero-input kind of farming that the nice thing is no one's feeding their oysters. So it's all really coming from what's in the water. So you don't have to worry about not only what you're eating, but what did the thing you're eating eat? So it becomes a little less complicated that way. Um, and so how, how was the event today? What was the goal of it? And, and can you walk us through a bit of what you did? We had a great event. We had five different oysters from the, two from the East Coast, two from Baja, Pacific Coast, and then one a little further north up the coast. So it was a real chance for people to do kind of a flight of oysters and taste the different tastes that come from a animal that really reflects what it's been eating. And actually, one of the farmers who does these oysters in South Carolina, his two Gaduzi oysters, he's like, they taste different in the winter and then the summer based on, you know, rainwater and runoff and minerals and salt. And and, um, I just think that's fascinating, personally. I mean, I think we had a really good time tasting things and kind of let everyone think about what their favorite one was and why. And so it was a really, really fun workshop. And we were there with um, uh, Sheila Lucero from here in um, Denver, who has a proprietary oyster. So she has a farm who farms just for her, which is pretty cool. So she has like a branded Jack's Fish House oyster. It was just a lot of fun. Of course, everything was paired with stem cider. So, I mean, it was a really just delicious and fun event. I would do one of those every day. That's awesome. Well, that's the other thing about shellfish. Not only are they great for the environment, but they also, it's to, I think this type of seafood that most 
expresses the terroir of the ocean, if you will. And you can really like taste where they're coming from. Exactly. And I think that makes them really fun. I mean, we eat hopefully to have a good time and, and not just, you know, food is fuel, but food is also fun. So we had a great time. And I think that for people to kind of go through and have that different experience. I mean, sometimes you eat an oyster and you're like, that was good. Then a month later, you eat another oyster and that was good. But to eat them in sequence, I mean, treat yourself sometime. Buy like all 15 different oysters and just eat your way down the coast because it's a real education. That's a philosophy I can stand behind. Yes, yes. Let's all do it. (laughs) Um, Well, last question for you. Where can people learn more about the Seafood Watch app and Monterey Bay Aquarium and the work you do as a whole? So our app is available for free. We've had over a million downloads. We would love to have a few million more. Um, We update it every time we get new information. So you really are the first to know when something changes or comes up on that. And so we encourage you to download that. And again, my challenge is always go look up your favorite seafood because you don't have to read all 1700 but you should read your favorites and then our website also has great stuff so you can sign up for an e-newsletter check out our blog we really try to focus on partners and people who are doing great things so that you can learn the positive food stories because we all hear the bad stuff but we really try to fuel people with here's a new food you should try it and give you something to kind of look forward to next time you're out to eat Well, thank you, Sheila, for sitting down with us. Uh, That was Sheila Bowman with Monterey Bay Aquarium's Seafood Watch app. Once again, I'm Kat Johnson, and we will be back shortly with our last interview of our Slow Food Nation's 2018 coverage.